welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Best of All Possible Podcast. I am your host, Robert Weathers, and you know that we here in Williamsburg, Virginia, at Panglossian Productions, have a love for the weird. We love the unproduced and underproduced, and we sure do love 10-minute plays. And we here on the Best of All Possible podcast will bring you a brand new 10-minute play every two weeks here in 2019. But it's not just me here. We have a pool of talented actors who come and help us read. And joining us here today is Sharon Hollins. Hi, Sharon. Sharon, today we're going to read a play called A Harmony of Both. And I have a question for you. Uh Sharon, have you ever had buyer's remorse? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Can you talk about that a little bit? You don't own a house, it owns you. Ah, I see. <laughs> that's, that's, I, I, I own a house as well. That's, that's certainly true. <laughs> so have you ever had to call customer service over something oh. that you purchased? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lots of fun with customer service. <laughs> Used to work in customer service. Oh, is that right? Oh, boy, does that suck. <laughs> <laughs> That was wonderful. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sharon. All right. Joining us here today also to read is Liz Thomas. Hi, Liz. Liz, have you ever had to call customer service before? Yes, but uh, like Sharon, I also used to work in customer service for a variety of things. And uh, it it can be interesting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So what's the, can, I'm, I'm interested, what's the longest you ever had somebody on the phone? There was a time where actually a colleague of mine, uh, we, we shared a little office. And I think she had somebody on the phone just like completely yelling and berating, yelling at her, just berating her for about 45 minutes, I think. There was just a point where I looked over and she just had the phone on the desk and her head down on the desk. <laughs> I think I bought her a drink after work that day. <laughs> That's <laughs> good. Sure. I see Sharon is yeah. over there nodding her head. Yeah. Well, the question, I mean, do you mean, do you mean like somebody actively... You're, you're either actively talking to somebody on the phone or they're actively talking to you or are you or including you. hold times on oh, I'm, oh, I'm definitely oh including hold time. Oh, yeah, okay. absolutely. oh, hold times. Hold times. There was one where it was like, I think about three hours where I was working because we had um, a block in the road to get to where I was working. So people were trying to find a way around it. And uh, I remember actually my boss offering to buy us drinks. Not even after work, just then. Just, 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 just so we work. didn't quit. Just so we didn't quit. Be like, you made it. Pop no. the champagne. Hey. Actually, there was gin being tossed around with desk. I, I did yeah, sound effects awesome. in the last show, so now I'm all about them. That's the champagne. Pretty good, right? Was it? And si- <laughs> sitting across from me with a grimace on his face is Josie Arco. Hey, Joe, what's your favorite sound effect that I've made so far? Uh, silence. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the sound techs who shall not be named. Uh, Let's edit that out. (laughs) Joe, my my other question was going to be, have you ever terrorized Sharon or Liz while they were working in customer service? (laughs) But I guess you spared yourself that one. (laughs) 
So, everybody, today we are going to read a play called A Harmony of Both by Terrence Patrick Hughes. And those of you listening at home, if you haven't listened to us before, this is a cold read podcast. These actors have not laid eyes upon this script before. They don't know what it's about. And if it wasn't because I sent the, if it wasn't for the email I sent earlier today with their casting on it, they wouldn't even know who they were playing. So I'm going to read their cast, uh, the casting aloud just now. So Sharon, if you would be so kind as to read Emily. Liz, if you would read Connie. Joe. Oh, thank you. That's very nice. <laughs> Joe, if you would read Stan. I will read the stage directions. And so, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, A Harmony of Both by Terrence Patrick Hughes. The characters are Emily, Connie, and Stan. The play is set simultaneously in an office cubicle and in the sitting room of a home. Time is toll-free. Setting. Stage right is a sitting room in a nice home in Boston, consisting of a fine-looking yet rarely used chair by a table with a telephone on it. Stage left is an office cubicle with a desk, chair, phone, and lots of clutter. At Rise, in the darkness, Rupert Holmes' escape plays as light comes up on stage right where Emily is seated as she holds the phone to her ear, not happily. Lights up on the stage left cubicle, in which Connie is seated with a mirror and tweezers as she plucks her eyebrows. Connie then places down the mirror and tweezers, dons a wireless headset, and touches a button on the phone. The music comes down. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling the Petting Corner. My name is Connie, and I must first advise you that this call is being recorded. That's a lie. This is the ninth time I've called in two days, and no one has been able to retrieve a word of what's been spoken. Isn't that right? You don't know anything at all, do you? No, but before we can get started, I just need to ask you a few questions. Yes, yes, I know. My name, my address, the toy that I purchased. Why don't we start My with... dog almost died. Okay, sorry. Is that your name or your address? So, I've lodged this complaint <laughs> ad nauseum. I've been given nine different reference numbers, and at some point during every call, your little scripted robot colleagues have put me on hold, and I've had to listen to that god-awful, if you like pina coladas. <laughs> I hate pina coladas! This has been torture. More than that, it's been torture aboard a cheaply upholstered yacht in dry dock, and I'm about to... to I'm going to sue you people. That's what I'm going to do. May I put you on hold for just one moment? Don't you dare. Emily epically fumes in silence as Connie puts the call on hold and presses a large red button. Red lights flash, an alarm sounds, there's a voiceover. Red alert, cubicle 47. Red alert, cubicle 47. Red alert, cubicle 47. Stan enters from stage left on a Segway scooter. He dismounts, stops the alert, sets his wireless headset to the phone, or yeah, sets his wireless, wireless headset to the phone, and removes a large black binder from his laptop bag. Status: angry customer threatening lawsuit. Gender: female. Call history. None. I don't know how to turn the computer on. Excellent work. I'll drive it from here. You may listen, but be silent as a mime. Understand? And notice, I said mime, not mute. I find the term mime. Too kinder. Now pass me in. Connie takes Emily off hold. Stan jots notes as Connie reacts silently. Hi, this is Stan Smith, manager of Customer Smiles here at the Petting Corner. With whom am I speaking? My name is Emily Munch, and I'm about to lose my mind. I bought one of your toys for my dog, and he swallowed it and almost died. 
May I ask, from which one of our squeezy puppy pleaser lines did you purchase? Was it the toothy hound turkey bone? Or the one hell of a chew cheeseburger? Or... It was called the lickin' chicken. Well, now, there's your problem right there. You see, that toy's strictly meant for licking, not swallowing. Don't you dare condescend to me. I'm sorry, but I didn't mean that you shouldn't lick it. I meant your dog. Pontius has never had any problem with any... Pontius? Is your dog's name as in Pilot? It happened to have been my grandfather's name. He passed away this year. From causes which I can assume were no fault of the petting corner (laughs) and our affiliates. Never mind what I named my dog. After swallowing your toy, Pontius managed to throw up everything in his being, but your rubber chicken and the package it came in clearly states, safe for all pets. Now, what are you going to do about that? Well, for starters, I'll talk to marketing about that guarantee. I want a refund for the toy and reimbursement for the whopping veterinary bill I have to pay to have poor Pontius pump, but to, <laughs> pump from poor Pontius' throat. Now, honestly, that's a tough road right there, ma'am. Between you and me, I'm still waiting for a reimbursement for an emergency room visit after a bad piercing last night. I won't get into the details, but suffice to say it involved one or more of my nipples. My next call is to my lawyer. Stan takes hold of the black binder. Could you tell me from which store you purchased the lickin' chicken? In Faneuil Hall at Paul Revere's Pet Mart. It's usually very good. I get all of Pontius swimwear there. Okay, that would be, uh... Family Hall in... Boston, moron. No disrespect, ma'am, but I think you mean Boston, Massachusetts. He's flipping through the pages in his binder. So, uh, Boston. 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 Yes. How about the Red Sox, huh? I detest sports. And Bunker Hill, right? Oh, what a hill. Oh, boy, and... And seafood. Seafood makes my ankles enlarge. (laughs) Which I can assume is no fault of the petting corner in our affiliates. I've had just about a... And and what about Lexington and Concord? Boy, the Concord, what an airplane. Lexington and Concord are not part of Boston. (laughs) Really? What happened? Because I'm not sure if you're aware that Concord was the birthplace of the the transgendan... Are you trying to say transcendental... Yes, right, transcendental. I mean, what teeth have they what teeth they have in Concord? Don't embarrass yourself. I happen to have written my thesis on Emerson at Mount Holyoke. Oh, yes. Surrey, there's nothing like writing a thesis on a mountain, I say. You symbolize the antithesis of Emerson's ideal. So you wrote a thesis and an antithesis. Wow. Listen here. You nitwits nearly killed my grandfather. I mean, my god, heavens, I mean my dog. You people would be so frazzled with your hold music and scripted questions. So Now just tell me where my lawyer can mail the... Stan grabs his notes. I want, uh, I do want to give you that information. But first, I'm almost embarrassed to ask, what exactly was his ideal? Who? The one you wrote the two theses about. Emerson? He has nothing to... Oh, though, I must admit, that's the first rational question I've been asked by your company, and oh, bother. His ideal was nature, to put it simply. It was the first title, it was the title of his first major essay, and I believe his best. Nature, huh? I don't get outside much myself. 
except when I'm in the car. I'm not talking about leaning out of the window at the drive-thru to collect a sack of heart attack. <laughs> I mean outdoors, far away from the distractions of the human race. I used to ride my bike quite a bit, up until the anal surgery. <laughs> you people work for a pet company. Emerson considered us all pets of some sort, never truly alive until we escape into the woods or, or onto a prairie or far out on a good if not great plain, allowing our instincts to waken, reverting almost to the creature in the wild, listening, feeling, sensing every movement on the ground, in the air, every sound. It's, it's fairly orgiastic. You know, Emerson said, man has fallen, nature is erect. I guess that's only natural. My grandfather. Pontius Pilate. No, just Pontius. <laughs> <laughs> Although, curiously, he was a pilot. <laughs> His crew flew missions in World War II. Their job was to drop, drop democracy over Eastern Europe. <laughs> Why on earth am I telling you this? Because customer care is two words, ma'am. You're the customer, and I care. <laughs> well... When my grandfather passed this year, such memories came back. Our, our walks in the woods when I was a girl and little things like the peanuts that we'd share with the squirrels and the birds he could name from the sounds of their trills. A lot of times we wouldn't even talk, just listen and walk lost in thought. It, it, was, it was rapturous. Well, as soon as he was gone, I found Pontius. Ma'am, I have a theory. I'll alert the Nobel Committee. <laughs> I think Pontius was telling you something when he swallowed the licking chicken. I think it was more than a coincidence. I think it was your grandfather speaking to you through the dog. Did you just say that my dead grandfather spoke to me through my choking dog? Is That is possibly what I said yes and no. You, you... Oh, my, you... You may be right. When he was wheezing and thrashing about on the kitchen floor, struggling to cough up that godforsaken piece of rubber, he looked at me, but his eyes, they, they were the eyes of my grandfather. It, it, it was a searching look he always had, so distant, yet so desperate to hold on to life. Whenever it was time to make our way back home, to, to leave the quiet of the woods, he would be so sad. I think it had something to do with the war. God, I wanted to help him so bad because I, I could tell he was hurting, but I was so little, I, I couldn't do a thing for him. I couldn't help that poor, broken man. And then my life got in the way. I hardly ever saw him until his final days in the hospital when he stared at me with that same face, that still gaze of captivity. It made me realize that I was never as close to another human being as I was to him, and I never will be. Don't you see, ma'am? This was no fault of the petting corner and our affiliates. This was a sign from Pontius through Pontius. They don't want you to sue this company. They want you to take them for a walk in the woods. Stan reads from his notes as Emily begins to weep. Out in the wild, away from the distractions of the human race, like Emerson said, getting erect with nature. <laughs> oh, dear me up. I'm sorry. It's all right, ma'am. That's what 800 numbers are for. <laughs> Why didn't I see this before? I lost them. Grandfather, Emerson, they've passed from my consciousness like a so-so vacation. 
erased from my life like a, a once favorite purse? Well, I'm not going to lose anything more. Pontius and I are going to call a taxi and drive straight out to Concord. And I'm going to bring my copy of Nature. And we're going to get a large cafe latte and a scone. And we're going to go and read that book out loud in the square. Sounds like someone's not going to have time for a lawsuit. Oh, I'll still sue if you don't put a warning sticker on future packaging. I'm not sure how many dogs would be able to read the warning, but we will send it along to the higher-ups for consideration. May I make a bold suggestion? Well, you already cried, so sure. (laughs) Tell those higher-ups to shove it up their behinds. You're a talented man. Not just anyone can deliver emotional breakdowns over the phone. It's an art form. I've told them that it should be taught. Get out of there. Remove your shackles. Go outside. (laughs) Feel alive. Better yet, come to Concord. Or stand up in your own town square. Illuminate the darkness with me. I couldn't. I have to work. Then I got therapy. Oh, you see an analyst? Uh, No, a physical therapy. After the surgery, one of my butt cheeks became deflated. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad. I think you could use a dose of transcendentalism. It it can change your life. Really? Well, ma'am, I'm glad we could help you with your problem today. And for what it's worth, I wish I could go to Concord and listen to you. You know, I... Goodbye. Emily hangs up the phone and exits with a newfound buoyancy. Hello. Hello, Emily. Wow. That was amazing, Stan. How do you do it? I would have hung up and hid under my desk, but you, you're, you're like a superstar of manipulation. You are so lucky. The petting corner will hang on to you forever. Stan stares at Connie as she moves to the stage left. I'm going to get a coffee. Do you want anything? No, thanks. It's my fasting day. All hail Stan, the king of the office. Connie exits. Stan picks up the phone, retrieves a number, glances around, and dials. The phone rings, and Emily enters stage right holding a book. She answers the phone. Hello? Hi, Emily. It's it's me, uh, Stan. From the pet company? Your name is Stan? How awful. Um, Even though we're all finished with business, I want to ask you, do you think before you go to Concord you could read a little bit? Of Emerson? Uh, Just a a little to me. Because I do. I I do want to get out. I've wanted to for a long time. I I just don't know how. Well, I I suppose we need to start from the beginning. Our age is retrospective. It builds the sepulchres of the fathers. It writes biographies, histories, criticism. The foregoing generations beheld God and nature face to face. We, through their eyes, why should we not also enjoy an original relation to the universe? Why should not we have a poetry and philosophy of insight and not of tradition, and a religion by revelation to us and not history of theirs? That's so right, those bastards! Settle down, Sam. We've got a long way to go. Embosomed for a season in nature, whose floods of life stream around and through us. God, yes. Let it flow. Let it flow. Lights down. End of play. (laughs) (laughs) All right. 
<laughs> all right. Thanks, y'all. So uh, now we're going to enter into the portion of the podcast where we have a brief discussion about the play that we just read. And I want to get your first impressions, guys. So, Liz, I'm going to start with you. This can be as simple as I liked it, I didn't like it. Did I start with you last time, Liz? I did. Joe, I'm going to start with you. <laughs> Again, this can be as simple as I liked it, I didn't like it. Anything that stood out about the play to you, just your first impressions. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I think it had a good bit of humor, of course, with it, but not without... You know, sometimes you can enjoy something that has humor and it, it can be, feel shallow. I I enjoyed the, the pulling in of Emerson at the end. So in this kind of absurd and funny bit, it felt at least there towards the end. I was going to say, kind of I think, I think it, it didn't get shallow at the end. It actually got deeper in the end, didn't it? Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed that about it. Great. Sharon, what are your first thoughts? I think the playwright's from Massachusetts. <laughs> I could be wrong, but... Well, uh, the uh, so it, it says here that the playwright, at least their... I'm not going to say their whole address, but their current address is in New York. Okay. But, I mean, that's not that far from Massachusetts, so... <laughs> no, you just, you just get you get hit over the head with... When you when you live in... I grew up in New England, mm-hmm. and you get hit over the head with transcendentalism. <laughs> and Lexington and Concord. I was sort of having some like high school flashbacks there for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but otherwise, I liked it, other than the whole transcendental thing. Right. Liz, what are your first thoughts about the play? Oh, no, I really I really enjoyed it, and I, uh, I appreciate it. It was... Uh, Dare I say it had a nice bit of harmony. It did seem rather balanced between um, the humor, but also, uh, yeah, I mean, the depth to it as well. It just, and it didn't feel forced at all, which is nice. It didn't feel like, I need to make a play that includes Emerson, and I'm going to find every way I can to also make it funny so people don't fall asleep. No, it just, Mm -hmm. it was, it was very well crafted, I think. Um, I, I will also say I really like the author's um, use of language, the the different descriptions of the pet toys. Like there was some uh-huh. really good, yeah. sharp, um, the, yeah, turn of phrases that that were used in here, both original and and brought from without or outside. So I wonder about uh, I wonder about Stan here towards the end. Um, I he he turns around. Here at the end, he is brought to his own mini enlightenment, I guess, to the point that he wants to call uh, call Emily back and talk to her or, or listen to her read a little bit. But I'm not sure it's really defined when that happens. Does anybody have any thoughts about when he turns uh, and when he decides that you know that what he's doing is not worth it? I mean, is that maybe something that's going on with him already and we just don't hear about it? Uh, would you, Joe? Maybe would you read him differently? Uh, maybe a little more monotone, or you know, obviously, you know, obviously reading from a script. You know, we don't have the benefit sitting here. Well, we have the benefit of sitting here of looking at you, but our listeners won't be able to see you, uh, so they can't see your body language in reading your script. Mm-hmm. Um, any I, thoughts about that? Yeah, I think that that for me, Stan. Um, seemed very much a simpleton to begin with, but uh-huh. a genuine one. I mean, again, when we had that conversation about customer service at the beginning, and as I sit here at a table with two people who worked in customer service, I am not going to be uh, dismissive or <laughs> negative about it. But I mean, I do think that there is sometimes kind of a uh, an assumption that anybody who's working, you know, those phone lines, probably aren't doing it by their first choice. You know, who, who goes for that job? I think, uh, you know, I had a job where I was at the phone for a while and that kind of faux genuine, um, 
I care about you, but is easily seen through that they don't care at all is, is the first thing that I stepped in, uh, in, stepped into my mind as Stan. Mm -hmm. uh, but as you go along and you see that he ultimately does change, I, I think it would really change how it's not necessarily how I read it. I think monotone's another way it could have gone, but to really uh, pick apart when that shift happens for him, I think it would take a, you know another read or two to say, this is the moment. But I think it would also be fascinating to see him make that transformation, but still also try and hide it from Connie. Um, sure, yeah. Because if he's the Hale Stan King of the office, he, he's worked hard to get to that place, to be the one they call in in emergency circumstances. So it, it seems an, uh, an odd balance that he is in at the end of this if he really does actually want to get out that whole time. Mm -hmm. Something a little bit more sad, sad about him in that way. Sharon, do you think that Emily suspects this turn at all? Is it a total surprise when he calls her back? Yeah, I think so. Uh-huh. And she, she, you don't think she picks that up at any point? I, she, she does hang up on him pretty quick there at the yeah. end. Um, I'm going to sneeze. Oh. <laughs> ah, there, there it is. Ah, uh, thank you. Um, I might do it again. Uh, but in while I'm working on that, <laughs> nope. <laughs> there it is. Good night. Thank you. Um, I'm not wheezing and thrashing about on the kitchen floor, but um, I mean, I, I think she 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 kind of makes the offer. She does make the offer to him, um, but then gets once she gets turned down, it's like okay, goodbye. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I think that there's there's something interesting. See, I, I, I don't know. I read it as once she just starts saw, seeing him, saw that, that maybe he was going to have some more questions, that's when she pulls the plug and hangs up the phone. It, it's uh -huh. his, really, well, ma'am, you know, I wish I could go to Concord and listen to you. You know, I want. I mean, that's where we definitely see that this is a legitimate change. True. And that's where yeah. she shuts him down, you know, shuts down the conversation right then and hard. So I, I'm curious if in that very last moment there is something of a realization mm -hmm. for Emily about what Stan, how genuine Stan really is. So Liz, I'm, I, I have to say that it, during the reading of this, I forgot that Connie was there until the very end. So I wonder, uh, did you did you feel that same way? And I also wonder how uh, the three of you think this play, with somebody watching it, how it would be different watching and knowing that Connie is there and her reaction to it the whole time. You know, I, there's actually a part of me that during the reading, I wondered if Connie need, even needed to be a part. I sort of wrote myself out of the play, which as every good actor does, um, and I can't keep going. No, I, I, I did though truly wonder if Connie needed to be there, but then I thought, um, there, there could be some very interesting aspects, just sort of the physical, uh, the physicality of the character. Cause I think that Connie is sort of, I mean, she's probably like, we are just saying she's taken this job because it pays the bills, not necessarily that mm -hmm. this is like her end game. And so to see just, the transformation through her through her physicality throughout the play, I think could be something very interesting. Um, sort of looking at kind of mirroring Stan, I guess, if if that is a way. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Because I'm trying to I'm trying to visualize it in my head, but it's it's she, rather difficult because 
Well, she's pretty yeah. clearly enamored with his capability mm-hmm. there. By the end, I uh-huh. think so. Well, and yeah. I think it, it might, what would be fascinating to see is Stan break away. It, when he first comes on, he and Connie are the, the pair. He's mm-hmm. sharing, you know, um, unscripted but looks when he kind of has the, the customer in a good place. And, it, you know, I can see sharing kind of a, a wink yeah. and, and thumbs up and high five motion right. when he's doing something to manipulate Emily, but then we could also see in that physical space with these two, once he starts looking over his shoulder and making sure that Connie can't see that he's genuine in this moment and see that that connection. Because if you're all sharing a stage together, you don't need um, Stan actually interacting with Emily to to bring that out, bring them both downstage at a certain point to show that, that his connection is no longer to Connie, but is instead now to Emily. And I think that there is some real uh, great potential to see that shift, not even just in Stan alone, not mm-hmm. in, in uh, his voice, but the staging of it, the actual blocking and uh, and those aspects to show the parallel between Emily and Stan. I don't know if it would work but it would be something to kind of play around with, at least in rehearsal. Uh-huh. Um, Stan says that Connie is a mime, not a mute. Uh-huh. And mimes are not stationary. Yeah. True, yeah. But that could also steal a lot of focus. So it might have to be something that was sort of occasionally, uh, like very, very specifically chosen if that mm-hmm. action was going to be taken. I like that. You could play around with that. It'd be fun. Well, and again, I, I think that if we're seeing the... the um, Stan sharing some of those cues with Connie that that there is that moment where she can be big and he could, you know, bring it down, especially once he starts connecting with Emily. So I think that there's some room for some real uh, physical, visual humor uh-huh. with this play on top of the, the wordplay that's already awesome. Absolutely. Great. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for coming out here and reading tonight. Thank you to Joe Ziarko, Sharon Hollins, and Liz Thomas. <laughs> And, of course, thanks to Terrence Patrick Hughes for the wonderful play, A Harmony of Both. Thank you very much. And we want to make sure we extend special thanks to Rachel West, who's our stage manager, and the sound techs who shall not be named. But we'll giggle whenever I say that. If you enjoyed what you had, make sure you hit that subscribe button. You'll get a brand new play every two weeks from us in 2019. If you're interested in our stage productions here at Panglossian Productions, make sure you visit us at www.panglossian.org. And you can follow the Best of All Possible Podcasts on Facebook at, you guessed it, the Best of All Possible Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and good night, everybody. Hey!